This week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, the union helped us pick this episode uh, to great <laughs> dissatisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. There's so much anger that this record was getting reviewed, yet it garnered half the votes in order to, to achieve a tie. I'm strangely starting to understand why autocracies are becoming so prominent. Yeah, exactly. So you, you give people the power to vote, and then they vote. And they're like, what? who voted for this? It's terrible. They just throw their hands up and <laughs> it's like. So for November, we had nine albums. This, is a, this was a very wide and um diverse group of records let's get into what they were richard waterman suggested the self-titled album by coverdale page darren lehman suggested the long beach dub all-stars album right back eric peterson the wednesday's midnight songs in time of war willie dylan smart went crazy now we're even kyle bittner suggested pure's generation six-pack mika Kusisto suggested Crane's Wings of Joy. Last Person on Web suggested Imperial Teens' What Is Not to Love. And Chris or, or Chris Thacker suggested Mystery Machine's 10 Speed. And Randall White suggested Sponge's New Pop Sunday. And they all did that by going to digmeoutpodcast.com to our album suggestion page and suggesting the album there. That goes into our hopper. Nine albums come out every month and people vote. People voted. There were a lot of votes in this particular poll. It was almost a three-way tie. It ended up a tie between two albums. Let's go with what the votes were. At the bottom end was the Wednesdays and Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Then coming in in the middle was Smart Went Crazy, Imperial Teen, Mystery Machine, uh, Cranes. The top three vote-getters. At uh, and In third place was Sponge's New Pop Sunday. Now, if we had done that, it would have completed the Sponge trifecta <laughs> of the 90s. Uh, that, that, I, I actually thought that was going to that was gonna win, maybe just to make that point. Um, to wrap it up. Yeah. But it lost out to the two top vote-getters, Pure's Generation Six Pack and Coverdale Page's Coverdale Page. Again, a weird combination of tie- at the top of this poll. So rather than have a runoff poll, we simply decided to flip a coin during our uh, thankful for 2021 music episode. And the win of that flip went to Coverdale Page. So we are digging into the one and done super group. I don't know if it's not a super group. It's a um, because it's not an entire group. It's basically two icons with a bunch of session musicians behind them uh, coming together. David Coverdale of Whitesnake and Jimmy Page of The Firm. He was in The Firm, <laughs> right? Right. And famous for his solo work. 
Yes. In that was it. Outrider is that the name of the silver? Hey, he was also in the Yardbirds, I believe, for a short period of time, and then in a small uh, blues rock band you might have heard of called Led Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> small blues rock band. They they were a boogie rock band in the nineteen uh, sixties right. and seventies, uh, playing local pubs. Yes, they were they're a pub band, pub rock, I believe they call it in the UK. Yeah, uh, but uh, I I knew this record, Jay. Well, let me put it this way: I remember the singles, which were "Shake My Tree" and I believe "Pride and Joy" was a single. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I like really spent a lot of time with the record. But I had a roommate who loved this record oh, and okay. played it a lot. So I just I just kind of heard it through it getting played a lot because he was a huge Jimmy Hend- or Jimmy Page fan. Yeah, he was also a big Jimmy Hendrix fan too. He liked all those '60s yeah. guitarists. But um, so he he was way into Led Zeppelin. Had every Led Zeppelin CD back in 1993-94 when this came out. And um, so I heard this record. I doubt we played it at WFAL. <laughs> I don't think this got played at the at the college radio station. Yeah. Um, did you get this record when it came out? There you go. There's the there CD. He's holding it up. Coverdale Page. Pristine. Like it's never been listened to. <laughs> no, I, I got it. I want to say. And there's no CD in there. I, yeah, it's in my CD drive here. Um, I think I got it when it came out. I mean, like maybe the day it came out. Um, I I remember being pretty intrigued by the concept. And um, I think at the time I was aware that there was some possibility of a Zeppelin reunion and then that didn't happen. And this seemed like the next best thing. Right. <laughs> so I was all in for that just to see how it, how it would come, come together. Um, I remember the videos. It's kind of funny. I saw that maybe you posted the cassette art. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a great album cover, but I definitely remember it. And uh, what's <laughs> yeah. funny is that the cassette art, I think you can tell it was designed for cassettes and long boxes because it just works better. Like you can see like the whole sign. Mm-hmm. It's not just a triangle in the middle of the square. Like it right. actually has a, which from I maybe remember of like, oh yeah, CDs used to be sold in long boxes that were totally different. And uh, boy, is this a little snapshot into 1990, what, 1993? Yeah. So this came out March of 1993. It was recorded in 91 and 92. So uh, apparently after Whitesnake did their 1990 tour, David Coverdale was like, I want to, I'm tired. I want to take a break. And um, Jimmy Page had been working on those remasters CDs that came out in the nineties and was talking yeah. to Robert plant and John Paul Jones about maybe doing some sort of reunion around that time. But plant was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Um, so page wanted to work on new music and they were both signed, both white snake and Jimmy page were signed to Geffen records. So John Calander, the cool. famous a and guy was, was the guy who suggested that they work together. Yeah. So they got the beginning, got together at the beginning, beginning of 1991, and they really didn't, I guess, know each other that well, even though they're both, you know, rock stars since the 70s, essentially, although Jimmy Page is a little bit older. Yeah. And um, they just started 
working on stuff and they it took a like you know over a year for them to work at different residences and and putting songs together um there's rumors that some of the songs were like pre-Coverdale and that maybe Jimmy Page was putting them together for for Robert Plant but I don't think Plant's ever like or Page's ever confirmed that yeah because um I believe at one point uh some rock journalist asked him was was this whole project meant to make Robert Plant um jealous or angry and he was like no he's like I just wanted to play music yeah. And then, you know, the next year is when they do the unleaded show, unleaded for um, MTV and um, do a huge plant page tour to follow that and and then put out that album, Walking in Clarksdale. Uh, so I don't think that there was any ill will. It doesn't seem like it because they were working together so quickly after this. Right. That it, it doesn't it just doesn't seem like. um there was any sort of problems between them based on, based on the timeline. Yeah. And my, my guess would be that it's the same as it is now. Like Robert Plant is just not interested in singing those songs. <laughs> it was probably the same thing at the time. Of like, yeah. And his voice has changed. I mean, right. he was pretty young, right? Like Paige and John Paul Jones were the older guys when they put Led Zeppelin together and Plant and Bono were both like basically just pub kids that had a band that Jimmy Page saw, I think, and and brought them in. But they, I think they were kind of younger. And his voice has progressed. And, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Page and, and Robert Plant definitely took different roads in the 80s. I yeah. haven't listened to a ton of Robert Plant's solo stuff, but it's quite different than what, you know, you would think in terms of if you listen to Led Zeppelin 1. So. Yeah, he's an artist that was always wanted to evolve and change and do different things. And that's, he was afforded the luxury to do that for the success of Led Zeppelin. And I'm sure in the early nineties was the same thing of like, I'm not interested in rehashing. And when they finally got it together, it was, it was different. Right. I mean, the presentation, even though they did some of the songs and stuff, there was like a reinterpretation and just a different spin on all of it. It probably got him excited. Right. Now I think the assumption is with this record that just Jimmy Page wrote a bunch of riffs and then David Coverdale sang over them but that's not actually accurate so for the song um pride and joy that riff is actually written by david coverdale that hmm. opening guitar riff wow. so it was a bit of them just like sitting down and like playing together more so than than jimmy page writing a bunch of riffs and and him just sitting singing on top it was like a legit collaboration between the two so Let's get into our Patreon community who almost completely ignored this record in their comments. Um, Keith Badge went with Imperial Teen um, and Sponge. Uh, he said, uh, "Live Here Without You" was one of their one of the best alt rock songs of the nineteen ninety, and Adam Rogan agreed. Um, Kyle Bittner said uh, Sponge, you know, they would like to see another <laughs> spin on Sponge, but also Pure. Um, and then Paul Richards said, said, no more bloody Sponge. Uh-huh. Uh, he said he was deciding between Imperial Teen and Smart Went Crazy. Um, 
Willie Dillon said, Smart One Crazy is one of my favorite Discord bands. Pure is classic Canadian alternative. Imperial Scene sounds pretty decent. And I've been meaning to listen to Mystery Machine. Uh, Gabriel Gutierrez, what with the cranes? Eric Peterson. Uh, his pick was the Wednesdays. But uh, he said, it looks like Pure Sponge. We'll spill the milk. Uh, I went with my pick. Uh, Chris Thacker was a uh, Mystery Machine voter. Dewey Cole. He said, no way does New Pop Sunday deserve to be reviewed over Pure's Generation 6-pack. Well, interesting. Gavin said, I kind of like Coverdale Page, but I really like Mystery Machine's previous album. Uh, and then also said, um, <laughs> a small challenge to voters. Let's try to avoid votes aligning with the sales. So I'm guessing out of that group that Coverdale Page was the biggest seller. Because uh, it did go, I want to say it went platinum. Well, I mean, it, based on marketing spend alone, you would you would sure hope so. <laughs> I, I think there was a couple bucks put behind this record. Yeah, it it sold at least a million. But then again, like if you went with Sp Sponge's uh, first album, I wonder how many that sold in comparison. But regardless, yeah, I almost said irregardless, and that's not a word. It's regardless. Uh, Whitney Biller went with Pure. Uh, Chip Midnight went with, I think he went with Smart One Crazy. Yeah, he said that gets my vote. And then Richard Waterman, who suggested Coverville Page, he said, let me get the bad out of the way. I would cut, take me for a little while, feeling hot, and take a look at yourself. Rumor has it that Jimmy, paired, Jimmy Page shared some of the material with Robert Plant, and he was not interested. Again, that's speculation. Um The credits say that both wrote all the songs, but some are more Jimmy than David and vice versa. Other not so great on the drum sound, which I hate and love in equal measure. Too much reverb and it sounds like 1987 to 1990. The lyrics at times can be rubbish and cliched. Alas, there is more good about this project than bad in my opinion. The definite eight songs left in my version are where I would have enjoyed seeing Zeppelin go in the 90s. Over now is Cashmere for the 90s and the last three tracks. Don't leave me this way. Absolution Blues and Whisper a Prayer for the Dying are unbelievable, and any hard rock band on earth would be lucky to have them. And there's a lot more there. Um, he said there's also a 2011 Japanese version uh, with a B-side, or, or there's a, um, with a, not with a B-side, with, um, it sounds better than the original, and there's a B-side floating around um, that's really good. And recently, and this was also, news so they're gonna do jimmy page and, D and david coverdale want to put out a reissue like uh 2023 40th anniversary i'm just gonna say that uh it's a very that's a big big anniversary remix and remaster and they want to include other material that they recorded plus live material because they did tour for this mm, a little bit they played some shows in japan i think oh is it just japan yeah, okay. they didn't do it. They didn't do a big tour. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, but I had read that they had lost their masters in the fire that 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 had occurred. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess we'll find out if that. Well, gets it's through. not it's not on streaming. Mm hmm. So there's a reason for that. My first assumption was like, well, maybe they're not getting along and they couldn't work through like 
getting it back, getting it up on streaming for some reason, but yeah, losing the masters could be a good reason. And or they're waiting to do the proper re-release. I haven't read anything that there's any sort of issue between the two of them and David Coverdale, who seems like a very um, cheery fellow who like gets along. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's despite having uh, (laughs) like 150 member, former members of Whitesnake. He's, (laughs) I think a, mostly a a gentleman that gets along with most people. I believe that this album uh, furthered some discussion on Whitesnake on our Discord because the discussion of the various guitar players who had been in Whitesnake uh, was being uh, talked about and who actually played on what record and uh, whether, uh, uh, you know, Steve Vai or, or Vandenberg or whoever was doing what at what on what record and that sort of thing. So who was it? Isn't there like a famous shot of like two like risers on like one of their album artworks where there's like, there's two guitarists up on big risers. Is it Steve Vai and Adrian Vandenberg? One of the, one of the videos has Adrian Vandenberg and uh, Vivian Campbell. Or Vivian Campbell. Risers. Okay. It's from the the 1987 record, I think. Gotcha. still, Still the night maybe. Gotcha. Okay. Is that what you're thinking of? Maybe that's what it is. It's a long time. Yeah. Ago. I mean, uh, you know, David Coverdale, outside of the guitar players that have been in White Snake, which is a pretty impressive list when you include like uh, Steve I in there. Um, right. And Vivian Campbell. But I mean, was John been, Sykes in White Snake? John Sykes was in White Snake. But that guy um, gets around. Yeah. But uh, don't forget, he played, you know, he was a singer in Deep Purple. So you can add Richie Blackmore to the list and now Jimmy Page. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, wow. who's, who's left? Yeah, exactly. I don't even <laughs> know. Van Halen? I, I mean, I, <laughs> all right. I said, what else th- would you have to play with? I said 40th anniversary in 2023. It's actually 30th anniversary. Whew, thank you. I got, I got worried there for a minute. I was like, wait a minute. That's not possible. My math's bad. There's there's not supposed to be any math at all. Uh, let's get into this, Jay. Let's talk some Coverdale Page. Tell me one thing you liked about this record. Setting aside like how it was actually rec- written, it a lot of this feels like now when I listen to it, um, it's easy to imagine this is a '90s Led Zeppelin record musically. Um, it certainly has Jimmy Page all over it with the exception of a couple moments I'll talk about later, but you get his tone, you get his really strange chord choices sometimes and Mm -hmm. riffs that only he writes. Like there's a lot of bands that obviously sound like Led Zeppelin or try to sound like Led Zeppelin or whatever, or say they're people say they sound like Led Zeppelin, but he has a very distinct style that you can tell the difference between like when it's him and when it's not. And it's both in like just how the chords sound and the tone. And then just the way he attacks the guitar and plays it, you just know it's him. So I really, I think in with some distance, I was, I'm able to hear that much better. Maybe my ears are matured and I spent more time with Led Zeppelin. Um, I'm able to hear that and appreciate it a lot more than I think I did at the time. 
uh, I think at the time it, it came off as like, oh, this is like a a white snake record, but like not as heavy. Whereas now I kind of can get a lot more what Jimmy Page is bringing and like what he's about. So I just really enjoyed it from that angle. Like as a, he doesn't have a ton of recorded work. I mean, yes, there's a lot of several of his up on records. He's got a solo record. He did this. There's the page plant thing, but like, he's not like Paul McCartney who's our Bruce Springsteen or somebody like that. Who's putting on a record every couple years, mm-hmm. his entire career. I mean, he goes long spans of not doing anything. Um, and you don't hear. So there, there's relatively speaking for his, his age and prominence. There's not as much recorded material as many other artists, I think, you know, that would be peers to him. So I enjoyed it from that standpoint to just um, not only hear him play, hear how he's like interpreting the nineties, hearing like what a nineties type production would be, you know, um, with that kind of material. Uh, I don't, I kind of like the drums. Um, I think they, it's um, who's the drummer on this? Pretty well-known studio drummer, Denny Carmasi. Yeah, who he's played with. He played on like all those huge heart records in the eighties, and he was in Montrose, and he was in White Snake for a while. He's you know, and a studio guy, I think. Right. Um, he does the John Bonham thing pretty well just in terms of getting the feel for um, right for how to play with Jimmy page, you know, there's something about like needing to use that kick drum uh, to fill in some space that he leaves and likes to leave in his riffs. Um, And if a drummer doesn't know how to handle that, it can kind of sound thin or sound bad. And he knows obviously probably listening to a ton of Bonham uh, prepping for this record knows how to play with him. I think production wise too, I'm okay with the drums. Like I expected to go back and, and be annoyed by them. But yeah, there's a ton of reverb on the snare that probably doesn't need to be there, but that was definitely like something going in this record. I was a little hesitant of like, well, I bet the drumming on this is going to not be good and be annoying and just be, you want to hear John Bonham playing with him, you know? So, right. Uh, I think I was pleasantly surprised that the drums were at least performance wise were what I would want. Um, and I thought they really brought some, some edge to the songs too. There's a lot of like, not a lot, but there's, there's some moments on here where they're smoking, like they're playing fast and aggressive and like really locked up and and doing a lot of like intricate little riffs and uh, dynamics and, you definitely get a feel that they work this material hard. You know, it doesn't feel like uh, the page just had some riffs and then they came in and he started singing on them and then they put basic drum parts down. I mean, this sounds like a, a band that was working pretty hard in a studio for at least a couple months to get this stuff worked out, which I appreciate too. Cause it just, um, you know, it brings, it brings energy to that super sterile production it just really needs like smoking performances to cut through all the reverb and glossiness. Um, 
And I think there's also some moments on here too that I like that Coverdale, you know, he does a you know, some things that are a little bit different for him. Um, I think it's over now is a good example. He goes into the slower register and he's more restrained and he kind of just like lets the song breathe and like the power of the guitars and the riffs to carry it versus you know, most of the white snake stuff and other moments on this record where he's like at a thousand and just like, you know, driving over top these, you know, lines and high notes and stuff. So there's definitely a couple moments on here where you, you get to hear a different side of him, um, which is nice. Uh, but but I think the the biggest takeaway for me that I enjoy was just getting to spend more time with Jimmy Page and like how he plays and how he writes and just how unique it is and you know just imagining in my head like boy could this have been a, a Zeppelin record and what would it have been like like what what would have John Paul Jones brought to this and how would have uh, Page sang over top of this and or um, Plant sang over top of this and. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed that part of it. How about you? You know, I went in with the idea that like, I have to separate any this from anything that was happening at the time. This is just like two <laughs> legends right, right. that are collaborating. It's a one-off. And I think if you just accept it for what it is, it's actually a really fun record from the perspective of, you know, I love David Cover- Coverdale as a singer. I mean, he's just one of the best like, rock vocalists of all time and yes he's like a junior Robert plant in a lot of ways but he does have his own interesting little ticks and and things that he does as a vocalist that plant didn't do um and obviously getting to listen to jimmy page really shred uh the shake my tree riff i didn't realize it but that actually went back to in through the outdoor like that was a riff that he had around for you know, I guess at that point, like 20 something years and he brought, he had tried to bring it to the band then and, and they didn't really do anything with it. And then he brought it to Paul Rogers and the firm and they didn't really do anything with it. So that riff had, and I think that's such, such a cool riff. I think it's a 12 string. Maybe it sounds like that or it's, or it's a double tracked yeah. six string. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I could just listen to him shred and play his weird lines. And like you said, he he's, He's such an inventive guitar player. I don't think he gets credit where he is. And if you read more, more about the band, you realize like he loves being in the studio. He loves screwing around with sounds and and tunings and making the guitar go in weird places, not to the extent that like Tom Morello does, but like in his world, 
of yeah. making big rock records, he does some pretty interesting interesting things while also being able to to shred like a guitar god that he is. And I know that there are songs on here that the lyrics don't stand up to extreme criticism, but yeah. I sort of just go, it's David Coverdale. I mean, the dude's singing. I mean, this is the guy who's saying slide it in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, care yeah, yeah. if some of his <laughs> lyrics right. are, are a little bit on the nose or or just, you know, at this point, pretty outdated. Even They were outdated by the time this record came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're not they're nothing is going to uh, be in any way relevant to 1993. But I th- I think that in terms of just being a straight ahead rock record and I looked at um, the p- main producer on this is Michael Frazier, who worked on basically the last six ACDC records, starting with um, uh, Razor's Edge. That makes sense to me. Like hearing that he has been working with classic rock, you know, a legendary classic rock band and then working on this record, he really is able to dial in like what makes them sound interesting. And yeah, there are like little bits and pieces like over now has a bit of a cashmere feel because of that. Uh, I don't know how you describe it, but that that kick is very like on top of it. Yeah. Like the way that cashmere is. Easy does it sounds like it's like off of Led Zeppelin three. You know, it has that acoustic. I think that one is using a dulcimer on that track. I'm not sure. Um, No, that's not. That's dulcimers on Pride and Joy. Yeah, it's Uh, it's missing the uh, the Mordor lyrics, but yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's 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 missing the Hobbit. But (laughs) yeah, I can hear it. But I I I just think that there's really a lot of if you just like classic rock, hard rock, and you haven't revisited this, you know, what the pages solo and don't leave me this way is just like, it's great. I mean, that yeah. is yeah. straight off of uh, Led Zeppelin. What is it? Is it Led Zeppelin? Uh, you shook me or uh, since I've been loving you, those blues covers that they do on those early Zeppelin records. Like, I yeah. mean, it has that same vibe. And like you mentioned, like Coverdale is very much game for playing around. Like over now, he's doing that lower register vocal. He lets it rip in a couple of places. He almost sounds like like um Brian Johnson in a couple spots where he's like really shredding his vocal. Yeah. And he's not it's not that like whale that he's known for, like on Still of the Night or something like that. He's 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 getting really 
um, aggressive with the vocal in some of the spots. And I just, I just think these are fun songs. Some of them are a little shaggy. They got a couple extra minutes here and there. Um, but there's nothing that I skipped. Like there's nothing that I went, Oh, this is terrible. Like that's embarrassing or, or whatnot. They're all, they all sound like what they should sound like in terms of who these guys are, what their lineage is and what they're bringing to the table in the early nineties, completely outside of what's happening in pop culture. Like this is like the opposite of what's happening. (laughs) With regards to yeah. Pearl Jam's verses and Nirvana's in Yurgero and Stone Temple Pilots, like, which is funny because, you know, Encomium comes out within what, two years of this? 90, I think 95. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of those bands are paying homage to, to pay. Yeah, it's within a year or two, you start to get the flood of tribute records and then the reunions start happening. Yep. Um, within a couple years of that. So they're, they're, you know, they were discussing doing something probably, you know, three to three to five years to a little too soon. And I, I know I think it was um, I'm looking back at at what. Richard said, like he would get rid of feeling hot. I don't really have a, a huge problem with that song. I mean, it's an up tempo sort of straightforward rocker. Um, yeah, the lyrics are dumb and yeah. they're dumb all over the place. I mean, (laughs) it's full of dumb. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't bother me in the way that, like, when I listen to, you know, what would be a a, a, a alternative band from this era, writing stuff that's like really, really depressing or like angsty, that now comes across as like whiny. Yeah, because that was what was in vogue at the time, and they were trying to fit in with that. But, you know, I I can definitely see how people would be disappointed in the sense that, like, yeah, he's not Robert Plant, but he, you know, he 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 forged his own path pretty well. Um, But there's I I, I don't know. There was a line um, ever since I started drinking, my ship's been slowly sinking like. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. Yeah, I mean, some of them are just dumb, but I just kind of let it wash over me and be like, okay, <laughs> right, right. I don't, David Coverdale's never met a rhyme he no. didn't like. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, um, I think that's the right attitude you'd have in coming into this. And if you can't get to that place, then don't bother, but. Uh, yeah. If, um, you were, if, if you're a fan of Paige alone, I, I don't know how you can't spend some time with this record. 
Yeah, and you know, there are highlights and then there are some, you know, less than let's, great. Let's talk about the lowlights. Let's talk about well, what are your <laughs> lowlights? Let's start with uh take a look at yourself is terrible. Um it doesn't sound like Paige had anything to do at all with that song. That sounds like a white snake B-side off of the album before this uh came out on slip of the tongue. Yeah, th- those um canned strings or I think or whatever they are. It's just a, like a boilerplate power ballad. And like Paige plays a solo on it. That's okay. But other than that, like it doesn't sound like Jimmy Page in any way. So that, that's, that's one that's got to go for me. Um, I know, I think I know where Richard's coming from on Feeling Hot. I, I like the boogie vibe of it. I like the energy. Uh, the bridge is kind of cool. The lyrics are just, it's like, you kind of when he's in amb- a little ambiguous you're like i don't know what he's saying but it's you know it sounds cool and then you get to that and you start to like uh now i know what he's saying and it's really stupid <laughs> right it just like it it just bumped over that line a little bit um for me i i don't hate it but it'd probably be uh a song i skip you know going forward uh, along with take a look at yourself the the use of strings, I struggle a little bit. Yeah. On the record. There's times where I, it kind of works because it sounds a little bit like what John Paul Jones would do, you know, as he started to use um, mm-hmm. Mellotron and, and organs and things in the band. Um, so I could kind of relate to it then that way. But there's other times where it's like, oh, this just sounds like keyboard strings on a late 80s rock album. You know, it's just, I could, I could, you know, use those being pulled down a little bit. Um, I guess Take Me for a Little While is the only one that uses real strings, which is oh, track really? three. Yeah, okay. it says that on in 2020, Paige stated in an Instagram post that the orchestrations on Take Me for a Little While were done by Claire Fisher, despite her, despite the lack of credit in the liner notes. Okay. Oh, Claire is not a, a woman. Douglas Claire Fisher. I was going to say, I was like, Claire? Who's Claire? Yeah, and that's one where I felt like the strings kind of got to that zeppelin use of that type of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they're just kind of all, it's a, it's like a, t- you know, typical late 80s, early 90s, like big rock production where there's just unnecessary keyboard strings. <laughs> I, I guess you could call it a John Kaladner production. Uh, like anything he seemed to have his hands in at this, in this period um, tended to do that. And it's a little still, uh, over the top. Yeah. I just don't think it's necessary um, all the time. Um, so the bass playing I'm okay with. Um. It actually reminded me a bit of Blue Murder. I don't know if he's using a fretless bass or what, but because Tony Franklin was in that band and he was known for playing fretless bass. But th- between that and sort of like the way the strings are used, there's moments on where this like to me is very similar to that sound to the, of that band. Um, it's not John Paul Jones on bass. You know? No, well, on Where, tracks seven and ten, it's Ricky Phillips from Sticks. Okay. Uh, and then he was also in the Babies and Bad English. Yeah. Um, and then Jorge 
Casas plays the bass on the rest of the record, and I don't know who Jorge is. I can look him up, but uh, it just, it's it's lacking. I want a little grit. You know what I mean? John Paul Jones brought some like some melody, but also some like it wasn't always like noodly and by the book. It was a little weird at times too. Um, I, I just would like to hear something like that from the bass. Um, the tone is okay. It's nothing like when it pops out, you're kind of like, Ooh, put it back. <laughs> like put it back oh. in the mix. I don't need to hear that. Okay. Jorge Casas was a session bass player, but he was the musical director for Gloria Stefan. He passed away um, just a couple years ago. RIP sound machine. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He was the sound machine. Um, so I'm picking a little bit on the performances, but like, to me, that's what this whole album is about is like, you want to hear Jimmy page play with really good musicians and like, right. Get close to the magic of Zeppelin. I mean, that's kind of the point of the record for me. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So the critique I have is like when they're, you know, the drums get close enough for me. Um, the bass sometimes doesn't and then the keys are like just not quite right um so it gets a little would, shiny at times yeah it's too pretty and like yeah. zeppelin was like when they use those things it was like epic and like ominous or oh yeah but it wasn't necessarily pretty i mean even when they brought in like a flute you're like oh that sounds like <laughs> the hobbit not That's like an evil flute <laughs> not like a unicorn <laughs> well i mean you go listen to like uh stuff off of uh, physical graffiti there are some really weird and dark songs i mean page is is doing some really weird murky effects with his guitar if you listen to like custard pie and the rover and those tracks there's a lot of like flange and and weird uh phaser effects and and all these things that are causing a lot of dissonance within like uh you know notes that are happening where he's he's obviously multi-tracking a lot of that guitar stuff and, and creating all these weird guitar scapes essentially that are yeah you know there's i think that the thing that this record misses is like a um speaking of that record is like something a little laid back like a down by the seaside or they just needed like one like sort of not a slow song that's like intense and like brooding, but like with a little bit of lightness. There's not really a, a light song on this record, which Zeppelin did do. Yeah. They did have like moments of chill, um, you know, like Dire Maker and, and those sorts of things. Um, just sort of missed that aspect. Yeah, I think you get, the, you get the David Coverdale ballad instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for that that moment where it's like oh this is a left turn and kind of you know bright and interesting and fun you you get like a a leftover white snake ballad right yeah david i don't think david coverdale's does light or airy <laughs> that's not his thing <laughs> um so what like i said you? anything else not work for you um you know, I just, it, there's some sounds that don't work. I don't love the bass tone 
Um, I, I actually was listening to this. I was wondering like, what would have happened if Jason Bonham had played drums on this record? Um, would it, would it feel different? Like, I wonder if, if they're going to do a remaster and a remix, like, do they take out some of the reverb? Do they, do they make it sound a little more present? If they're they're doing a remix, that's totally on the table. That would be awesome. Yeah. It says that they want to do a remastered and remixed version, um, with the four unreleased tracks and live material. I mean, if you remix, that means, I mean, even for 94, you should have total control over like what those reverbs are and stuff. I mean, pull like, a, pull an Ozzy solo record and just replace the bass player and put a new <laughs> bass player on, you know, get, yeah. uh, I, I would have been curious to hear, I mean, some of these songs, you know, instead of the fretless, you know, what would they sound like with a little more grit? Damn. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't it's, hate it. it it's it, it, your just, point. Like, those are the things that like remove the prettiness. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I want some of that taken out. Um, and that's how th- those are some of the ways that you can do that. Yeah. I don't want flea playing on this or anything, but right, right. I, you know, I'd be curious to hear what a little bit of, what would Doug Wimbush do to with this record? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Well, well played. So, so this record, it, I mean, like I said, it did do well. It sold a million in the United States, a uh, hundred thousand in Canada, hundred thousand Japan, sixty thousand in the UK went silver. It uh, in the US, it made it to number four, or sorry, number five on the Billboard two hundred. Made it to four in the UK, hit on on charts all over the world. I feel like there is zero. This is like Avatar. There's like zero cultural presence for this record. Uh, it's just the thing that we remember. Oh, oh that happened. Didn't that yeah. happen? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's a little odd. Um, there, there was a lot of put behind it. Um, the success at the time. I remember it was a record too. You could play on, on any rock radio, whether it was alternative or not. And, or, I mean, classic or, or not. Right. right. So you could cut through classic rock radio and, you know, modern rock radio with it. And MTV played at least the first video, I remember. Maybe the second one, too. So MTV was playing it. So um, it's just, to your point, definitely lost. I, you know, I'm surprised even within our Discord how many people hadn't heard it, <clears throat> which was surprising. I mean, I, I didn't realize it's harder to hear now because it's not on streaming, but... Um, it was sort of like this little moment that had happened and it was a huge deal. And fairly quickly, it just disappeared. It makes me wonder if uh, it was released in the later nineties or early two thousands or even more recently, if it would be appreciated much differently. Yeah. There's something about when you think about it, like, oh, 1993 and, you know, David Coverdale and Jimmy Page did a record. Oh, yeah. That was weird to do at the time. But now, like, if they were to do that, or if later on after, like, or maybe early 2000s when Page wasn't really doing anything, you know, um, and Whitesnake wasn't super active, 
it would have made more sense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was just scrolling through the uh, the White Slake uh, list of members, wondering if anybody, <laughs> if, if you had brought in Rudy Zar- Sarzo to play bass on this instead, like what would that sound like? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm still I'm fl- I'm confused as to why it's not streaming. That's the thing that like doesn't make sense to me because. It's on a major label. Yeah. I would imagine that they could just put it up. I mean, this is EMI. Why would it not be? Why would it not be on there? Um, Surprising to me. And it was, it was like, it was like they forgot about it too. Cause the no quarter album comes out next year. Jimmy page immediately moved on and was it that close wow yeah huh no that came out in um in the u.s november of 94 so a year later huh uh they had done you know the unleaded for mtv um which was recorded in morocco and london it's quite it was a huge deal (coughs) so and then walking into into Clarksdale came out in 98, which that was a dud. I mean, thinking about like how much buildup there was to them recording together again. And then that record is like, I don't know what was happening. It was recorded with Steve Albini. Like, why would you choose Steve Albini to, <laughs> to record page and plant? I, that's like the, just the weirdest decision. I, I was totally like, not following that whole thing so i i mean i remember it coming out but like i wasn't well i had reason excited about it but like i had no idea that albini worked on it that's insane (laughs) yep it was uh it was recorded at abbey road in london is that on that's not on streaming either it's not i don't think so i'm looking for it i can't find it fascinating uh, I'm I'm thinking it's a Jimmy Page thing. Maybe Jimmy, yeah, maybe Jimmy Page holds some sort of mystical power over streaming services and, and doesn't let them. Uh... I think he owns his shit and he does what he wants with it. <laughs> so I, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's. I mean, how much time has he spent like remixing and remastering Led Zeppelin records? Yeah. Um. And then, and then after this, Jimmy Page was like, "Screw it, I'm gonna go record the or hang out with the Black Crows. Let's do, let's let's go tour together." Right. That's two years later. I'm gonna go hang out with this super stable, easy to get along with band, the Black Crows. <laughs> These absolute nutballs. I'm tired of all this drama. Bringing the Black Crows. I'm surprised he didn't go hang out with Oasis after that. Now it looks like the firm catalog is available. Uh, well, he must like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't understand. So, how do you rate this record? This is a tough one. Is it a worthy album, or a better EP, or a decent single? Oh, this is tough. Um, I'm having a hard time justifying the hour. Yes. Uh, length of this. Oh no, it's real flabby. Um, I think a lot of this material is just too long. Even though some of the songs are, I think, really strong, and a lot of the parts are strong. 
I find myself exhausted, even stuff like shake my tree. Like by the time you get to the bridge of that, um, I'm like, okay, we can wrap it up now. Like I got the point of the song and they just kind of keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the materials like that. Um, also it's a little, if you're going to go that long, give me a great Jimmy page solo. And not all of the long songs have a Jimmy Page solo. Like Shake My Tree, I don't think it has a guitar solo at all. It has a harmonica solo. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know who's playing harmonica or why, if you've got Jimmy Page available, that you're not having him play guitar. But um, it, it, the if you're going to, the, the length would have to be justified by just amazing solos that you don't want to cut. Oh, so one, two, three, four five, six, seven. I've got seven songs that I think are really strong. Um, I've got two that I would cut. So I'm going to go with a worthy album and I'm just going to like skip two of the stinkers (laughs) because I think even the other songs that like, I don't think are as quite as good. They still have great Jimmy page parts in them that I want to hear and I enjoy hearing. And I think if you're a fan of his, like this is essential that you spend some time with this record, I think. So I, I think it's a, a worthy album, particularly for Jimmy Page fans. I agree. It's it's weird. It's a worthy album, but man, is it a very tenuous worthy album. Uh, I Don't Leave Me This Way is the obvious cut. Um I don't love Take Me For A Little While, especially it's over six minutes long. Jesus, cut that down to four and a half minutes. Um, I would cut that one as well. And maybe I would cut Pride and Joy. Wah, wah, wee, wah. It just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that is a two and a half minute, three minutes song. Like it's kind of got a cool guitar part and like right. vibe and stuff. And it keeps my interest for a while. I don't need it to go on and on and on and on. And continue to reprise the same parts over and over again. So I guess I'd be at like eight songs, but even then it's still long. Like this should be an album that can fit into 44 minutes on a vinyl record and should be tighter. So like like over now shouldn't be five and a half minutes. Easy does it definitely should not be six minutes long. Well, shit, uh, I gotta go back. Pride and Joy is only three and a half minutes. It does not feel like three and a half minutes. No, it feels longer. Absolutely. I mean, the, the the record ends with an eight minute long song, a six minute long song, and a seven minute long song. Yeah, but that's crazy though. That song feels way longer than that. I know. I know. That's not good. <laughs> I know. That's not good when that song's only three and a half minutes. You're like, well, I kind of like it, but it's too long. It's like, mm. there's something about like they, there's like a rep- what you said, it doesn't go anywhere. Like it keeps repeating the same parts. And right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'd be at, I guess I'd be around eight songs. Uh, but there's still, there's a lot of trimming to do within those eight songs. So, I'm at a worthy album, but you got some work to do. You got to get in the gym and trim some of this fat because it's a, it's a little flabby. So, but I think this is 
you know, it's a weird record for the 90s. I'm glad we got to listen to it. Uh, we get to listen to some some weird stuff here and there that doesn't fit the, the 90s at all. And this is one of them. So even though, you know, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were active, this is the oddball. And Whitesnake was active, too. I think they put out a record in the later half after they got back together in like 96 or 97, somewhere around there. Maybe this but, uh, like, this can count for our uh, Led Zeppelin in the, in the 90s episode. There you go. <laughs> sort of. And Whitesnake in the 90s. Yeah. I guess we didn't talk enough about Plant. But... Yeah, it's 97 is the next White Snake album, which I have no recollection of Restless Heart. Um, the the drummer from this record plays on it. That's all oh. I, I know. Okay. So thanks to Richard Waterman for throwing this into the hopper. And thanks to everyone who both commented and suggested records for this episode you can do so also if you're listening by going to digmeoutpodcast.com and going to our suggest an album page and throw an album in the hopper and we will uh, eventually get to it we got a lot in there probably a couple hundred but uh we knock them out nine a month voted on a patreon which you can join us by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com it's also where you can Check out the Box Newsletter, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. The Box Newsletter is delivered every week via your email. It's a weekly newsletter that covers the new releases of 80s and 90s music that's relevant to this podcast. New releases from a variety of folks. Recently, uh, there was a new Failure record that we did a one-minute review on. Recently, there was a uh, Tom Morello album. There was... uh, bunch of different things jarvis cocker uh ronnie size we hit it all all there's no there's no demographic there's no genre there is no uh there's nothing we won't talk about if it's of of interest to us and there's always a guided by voices record every three months for us to review so lots of stuff at the box newsletter two new reviews every month music movies and books and then finally if you like the podcast apple Podcast is where you go to leave a positive review, slap some five stars, help us uh, take down all the other evil podcasts. We're the we're the good podcast. They're on the, mm-hmm. they're on they're the ones trying to steal the ring that we're trying to uh, melt down. Uh, what's what's the Frodo guy do? Is that what he does? He try to melt that ring? Forgot. I throw it back in the in the fire in the, in the fire. All right, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.